Hey everyone, welcome to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Listen, today is going to be a phenomenal episode. This could be the most relevant and and time relevant topic that we have discussed to date. So if you're driving, hit pause until you can take notes. And if you're sitting at home, uh, take out your notebook because you're going to learn a whole lot today. Um, that you're going to be able to apply. And it's so relevant because what Brian is going to teach us about today is how to rebuild momentum, particularly when it stopped. And we're in a world right now uh, where momentum um, is in a lot of cases paused or slowed down at, at least. And so it cannot be more relevant to discuss how to rebuild momentum. So get ready to learn a lot and become a better leader. Hey, Brian, welcome. Hey, Jeff. Great to talk to you again. How, how are you doing today? I am doing phenomenal. How about yourself? Yeah, I can't. I just, you know, surviving the dog days of August in the South. So I know it. I know it. It's a beast out there. I feel like it's been um, very humid and, and in a lot of ways rainy this year, too. Well, it's Georgia in the South, and I've lived here for 55 years now. And two things I've never gotten used to is Atlanta traffic and summer humidity. So yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, how long God will allow me to live here or if he'll send me somewhere else, but yeah, I, I'm at 55 and counting and still haven't got used to it. So, well, you mentioned traffic. Um, and this reminds me of something interesting about Atlanta traffic because it is horrible. Um, but I lived in the DC area for three years and the traffic there is far worse than Atlanta, far yeah. worse. I mean, I worked at the Pentagon and I lived about five miles away and, and every commute there and back was, you know, an hour and it was just terrible. And they have transit systems and all that to help. But the difference is in DC, it's just always terrible right. in Atlanta. It's always unpredictable, right? On, you know, on the times when it should take you 30 minutes to get somewhere, it takes an hour and a half. And if you plan for an hour and a half, you get there in 15 and, and that really just throws a wrench into it. And that's why it's, um, even more frustrating. And uh, as you mentioned, even, even more difficult to get used to, so to speak. Well, it's kind of funny. I, th I think getting stuck in traffic is a, is a nice, uh, piece of symbolism for some of the things we want to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, getting stuff stuck in traffic is a surefire way to stop your personal momentum and the momentum of your day. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and, and like I said, in the intro, I don't think that there's a more relevant topic right now than rebuilding, mo rebuilding momentum. And so before I turn it over to you um, to talk us through how to do that, there's really three things I want to highlight for the listeners as to why this is so important right now. And point number one is, as everybody knows, COVID stopped everybody's momentum in its tracks in March of 2020. COVID stopped everyone's momentum. That's across the board. I don't think anybody was unimpacted by that abrupt and complete stop of momentum. Um, however, and my second point here is COVID is no longer in, in a position to prevent us from building 
new momentum going forward. So it stopped us last year, but it's no longer standing in our way. So point three is as leaders, we can, and really we should, it's our obligation to rebuild that momentum. And a lot of things um, that we as leaders are viewing, myself included, what I've learned a lot is that we, in a lot of cases, we're starting over. We're not picking up where we left off in February of 2020, particularly as it relates to community type environments and events like uh, Bible studies and business associations and other community-based things. You don't pick up where you left off. You got to start over. And when you start over, you got to build momentum. So with that, Brian, what are some ways that we can build and rebuild momentum? Yeah, you know, it's funny how this lesson came into being. The first time I ever did this lesson was about six years ago. And, yes. you know, yeah, and you found it. Um, and you just mentioned how much that you enjoyed the lesson, how relevant it was. And it was funny when you sent me that note, I was like, I remember doing that. Um, but it was so long ago, I kind of like got to go back and refresh myself, you know? Yeah. And here's what I, here's what I did back then. And I was involved in helping rebuild momentum for an organization. And, uh, that was, and when I went into it, and this is important for everybody who's listening, we kind of water ski through life and breeze through life and just go from one moment to the next and one situation to the next. And we never take time to stop and analyze what we're in and what lessons we're trying to learn and what God's trying to show us in that individual moment. You know, a lot of times people will, will talk to me about how I do a blog post and here's a standard way that I do a blog post and it really parallels into what I'm going to talk about. It's very normal for somebody to go, Hey, how did you enjoy the service today? Oh, it's a great service. Didn't you enjoy it? Yeah. Good service. And then you just kind of move on to the next thing. The ability to stop and ask, why was it a great service? Mm -hmm. Specifically what made it a good service? Number one, that's the blog post. But number two is called the law of the second question. All the great information is always found at the second and third question. That's amazing. And yeah, so if, if you ever want to be, if you ever want to, you know, write a blog or write a book or do a really good, insightful Facebook or Instagram post, it's always found at the second question. You know, that so let me let me let me just go ahead and tell everybody that just as a as a learning opportunity. But when I was asked to, to go back uh, to the organization that I've been with, in essence, for 20 years, and I took a little hiatus, but at Enjoy Stewardship Solutions, uh, Joe Sangle called me up from the rocket company. Actually, our minority owner, Ken Fryer, was the one who initiated it. And uh, I was asked to come back and help rebuild some momentum that had been lost during my time at the rocket company. And I remember when I went into it, I was like, okay, at the very minimum, this is going to be a good series of blog posts. Best case scenario, it could be a book. So I took copious notes hmm. about me going back and what that first 90 days looked like. And the beauty is it turned out to be a success story because we did rebuild momentum in 90 days. Uh, you know, the, you know, we actually had our best quarter and our best month in over four years during that 90 day period. So the, uh, 10 step process, and I'm going to hit these 10 very quickly, just due to the length of time. It does work. 
And as I begin to walk through it, it will become extraordinarily practical for you. And these steps are very easy to implement. So here's the thing, whether you're a profit, nonprofit, uh, athletic team, educational unit, military team, um, you know, whatever organization you're part of, the number one thing you've got to do is be able to recognize and admit momentum has been lost. By the way, of the 10 I'm going to give you, other than making some hard decisions for changes down the, you know, that, that, that other than that one, this is the most difficult to do, especially for nonprofits, mm. especially for organizations I work with like churches. Because here's the thing, just being honest about it, we can make statistics say anything. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to speak on churches because that's who I work with. Um, leadership in churches is extraordinarily difficult for two primary reasons. Number one, um, you know, the, and I'm just going to pick the clo business closest to my house, you know, the convenience store, mm -hmm. gas station down the street. Satan, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Satan's not. He's an individual fallen angel and has a limited number of assets called demons. Now he's a master of deployment. But the bottom line is he's not everywhere. Hmm. So if the local concession place, if, if they're not advancing the kingdom, you know, and they're not pushing back darkness, Satan may or may not visit the convenience store. Okay. Yeah. And so the bottom line is, and also they may, they may do a good enough job, you know, putting their own self in harm's way without hmm. Satan assisting in the process. He shows up at churches every day. Yeah. So number one, churches face an enemy uh, that regular businesses may or may not face on a daily basis. Number That's two, true. number two, they're leading volunteer armies. Hmm. Okay. So therefore, I believe leadership at a local church is the hardest and most complex and most difficult leadership environment there is. That being said, that creates an environment where it's a rare leader who will stand up and say, you know, I know this is going okay. And I know that's going okay. But the bottom line is we've lost momentum. I mean, it's not a total lost cause. I could tell you some success stories, but in terms of fulfilling our mission and vision and advancing that mission and vision, the pastor has to sit down with his or her staff and leadership team and sometimes congregation and admit we have lost momentum. Why do you think that's so hard to do? Well, there's a number of reasons. Number one, you're already getting beat up enough by the enemy. Okay. So that's number one. You're trying to look for rays of hope any, anywhere. Number two, generally speaking, pastors put their heart and soul and everything they got into leading churches. So there's this kind of uh, what more do I have to do kind of mentality. They're giving it everything they have. So admitting you know, a loss of momentum or something like that is sometimes difficult. Another thing is, let's just be honest, worst case scenario, depending on the dysfunction and unhealthiness of the church, you know, there's the concern of losing their job, mm. you know, and when a pastor loses their job, we don't want to get too sanctimonious about this. They have to move like anybody else has to move if they lose their job. 
and their their kid they may love the school system their kids are in they may love their neighbors their wife may have a great set of friends so a relocation of that family unit uh can be extraordinarily troubling you know so the ability to walk in and admit failure and admit we've lost momentum for a church or nonprofit can sometimes be extraordinarily difficult. Now, for a business, it's usually pretty easy. You got P&L sheets and you know, shareholder value, and you've got legitimate daily measurements that tell you if you have momentum or not. Right. You know, for a nonprofit, it's a completely different scenario. So you have to create an environment that's safe for the leader to admit that momentum has been lost. And in a nonprofit, it's good to have measurable, tangible items that, yes, not all is lost. There are certain success stories. But in terms of this mission and vision, what it says we're going to do, yeah, we've lost momentum. Yeah. So so number one, and it's the toughest. I mean, it's the toughest for a leader to look at their people and recognize and admit momentum has been lost. Uh, that's where Joe Sangle and Ken Fryer get a lot of credit. You know, they they admitted it was lost. They gave me a call. They were very proactive in addressing it. Good for them. So number one, you got to recognize and admit momentum is lost. Second, number and number two, plan for a good start. You never have to recover from a good start. So when I went back to the organization, my start date was April 28, 2015. And, you know, um, I had a little time off between positions. So I took a week of vacation with my family. And, you know, I've now got a week that technically I'm still working out my two week notice that they went ahead and thanked me and gave me a vacation, that kind of thing. I ain't doing nothing for a week. And Jeff, I think you're a lot like this. I'm not just wired to to just sit around. Yeah. So, so I actually went back to work for my company a week early and gave them, gave them a extra week for free. So what I did is I wanted to go in and get a running start. So on April 28th, all the new hire paperwork was done. All the, you know, you know, here's your computer and your passwords and all that, all that set up. The insurance is already handled. And I also took that week to begin to analyze and get a feel for where the organization was and develop goals and milestones we wanted to achieve that I could announce on April 28th. Yeah. So, so, you know, prepare or repair, you know, that might be another way to say this part, but you have to prepare for a very good start and get a running start if at all possible. Yeah. Number three, improve systems. And it's always systems over silver bullets. You know, everybody thinks that it's, hey, I'm going to have this one big idea or I'm going to do this one brilliant thing and I'm going to turn the entire organization around. I, I classify that as the Sasquatch category. OK, people claim that they have seen that and there might be some grainy footage, but <laughs> We don't have any real proof that something like that actually works. You know, you have to implement systems that ensure ongoing success. So the main thing that I was looking at was two different things. Number one, the people. Okay. Did we have the right people on the bus? 
that was something I had to do, or, you know, was their skill set suited for what we were trying to accomplish? Fortunately, the answer was yes. I did not have to make any hard personnel decisions. So that, that was a great thing. The second thing is the lifeblood of our particular organization and most organizations is, is called lead generation. Are we getting more and more people that we can talk to? You know, if you're a restaurant, are more and more people entering our restaurant or ordering online? If you're a church, are more and more people coming to our church and attending our events and being part of our small groups and things of that nature? So number one, I had to go in there and evaluate those type of things. And fortunately for us, everything was really kind of in place where I found the breakdown of the system was was after we had had initial connection with the customer, the ability to maintain that relationship, address their needs and follow up appropriately could, could go to another level. So I was able to discover that early on and then we implemented systems to begin to fix that, which leads me to point number four, count what counts, okay? Mm -hmm. You can confuse movement with progress. Definitely. You, can, you can confuse activity with accomplishment. Count what counts. So I'm going to use our church as an example, just because you and I are familiar with it. And a lot of the listeners may be familiar with it. Our mission statement is we exist to show God's love in such a way that people will exchange ordinary living for an extraordinary life through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. What is the count that counts? We do some activity that leads to an accomplishment. We generate some movement that leads to progress. We show God's love. That's the activity. That's the movement. Okay. The accomplishment is so that people will exchange ordinary living for an extraordinary life through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. So therefore, if I was to have a conversation with our staff or our elders about how to regain lost momentum at our church, I would, one of the things I would discuss is, are we counting how many people make that exchange? Yep. That's good. Okay? There has to be some target on the wall that we are all aiming at. Yeah. Now, luckily for us, we have an inside term called BP that stands for board presentation. That means our inside sales team is how often are we getting in front of church boards, being an elder board, a deacon board, a session, a council, whoever the decision makers are. So board, a board presentation is a general umbrella term. How often are we getting in front of them to present our services and hoping to receive a partnership so we can help that church? Mm -hmm. Okay. All Here's the thing. It all boiled down to BPs. It's all about the BP. Okay. This sounds awful, but as a leader, you have to go here sometimes. Brian, I had a two-hour conversation where I just really helped somebody out, and we prayed, and he really thanked me for our time. And, you know, one day, one day in the future, you know, we, we're, we're going to get the help yeah. So my follow-up question is, what's that day in the future? Yep. Can you not add an equal amount of value in 10 to 15 minutes 
as opposed to two hours and then leverage that extra hour and 45 minutes for the BP. Right. We've confused activity with accomplishment, movement with progress. Now, right. when you start shifting the culture of the organization, that's a challenge. Because what happens is they may be doing a lot of work, they may be putting in a lot of effort, but it's not resulting in that final product that we as an organization have agreed that this is the measurement. So doing the culture shift, and here, here if you're going to change culture, there's a few things about culture. Number one, as the leader, culture is the length and shadow of a single individual, the leader. Mm -hmm. You have to be the embodiment of the culture, okay? Number one, I have to be booking the BPs. I have to be focused on the BPs. I have to be talking about the BPs. I have to be celebrating the BPs. I have to be championing the BPs. Pete Carroll, uh, the great football coach at the USC Trojans and the Seattle Seahawks, you know, when he walked in with the USC football team, when he got there and the first thing he did to change culture was he held out a football and said, it's all about the ball. It's all about keeping the ball, advancing the ball, stopping the ball and getting the ball back. Yeah. It's all about the ball. We don't give the ball away. And so what happens is you have to, you as an organization have to determine what is the metric that advances our organization and count what counts. Yeah. I like, I like what you said about the leader has to embody it and, and hammer it. And it's almost repetitive. And we said before, as a leader, first of all, you got to be consistent with that measurable and that measurable has to be consistent with your, with your mission. Um, but as the leader, right when you feel like you're saying it so much that people aren't listening anymore is probably when they're starting to hear it. Exactly. Great statement. Yep. That's true. And so anyway, once we decided to count what counts, we needed to organize for success in that which counts. Okay. Can you do that. All right. So a handful of things that I began to do in that. Number one, I, in I increased sales training. I increased the closing process of how to get a BP. Okay. I started exposing them to environments where they knew how to, to book BPs. For instance, one of the things I did, I'd been at the organization, I'd returned for about a week, and I took one of the people on our team to something called the Orange Conference. Okay, now that's a children's conference, but for a while, Carrie Newhoff had a breakout session, just kind of a leadership track, because senior pastors could take their whole team, and it was mainly for the senior pastors and the executive pastors. And it was just a track for, it was a leadership track. And I would go to that and I would live blog it. That track eventually became so successful. It spun off as something called the Rethink Leadership Conference. But so I would take them and just due to the nature of me being in the industry and things like that, um, you know, I had the opportunity to have some conversations with some pastors at the event. Well, what would happen is, obviously, you would have the, hey, how are you doing? How's the church? And tell me how you've been and, you know, that kind of thing. And then I am there to represent the company, count what counts. So I would say, hey, do you have any needs coming up? I'm back at Enjoy and we help churches in terms of raising capital. And what do you got coming up, you know, in the future? 
Well, what happened at that point was I uncovered two major opportunities and immediately introduced them to the person I, I brought and allowed him to book those presentations. Hmm. Okay, so that was a way we began to organize and we began to model it and we began to get people in the, in the right situation. There's a phrase I want to introduce to everybody called skilled task. Okay. Everybody has, this is, this would fall under the heading of Jim Collins, not only get people on the bus, get the right people on the bus, but then get them on the right seat. You may have very, very talented individuals in your organization that are misplaced. And if you just applied them somewhere else in the, in the organization based upon their skills, their backgrounds, their talents, their passions, they could really advance your mission vision of your organization. You just got them in the wrong spot. Yeah. So what we did is we made sure we had the right people, you know, on our inside sales team and booking presentations that they love the church. They wanted to get pastors and church leaders the solutions that they need. They had a competency level, which that was part of organizing for success was the training. But we just had the right people in the right seats and we exposed them to opportunities. We made them successful and we really began to position the organization to move forward. Good. Okay. So now that we position the organization to move forward, we're starting movement. We're, you know, we're starting activity. Now we're not to the accomplishment or progress stage yet, but we're starting that journey. Celebrate every win you can celebrate. Yes. Okay. Get notches on your belt, begin to generate momentum. Um, you know, nothing advances momentum like celebration. And there's a way that you celebrate. You know, there's a, there's a celebration skill, if I can use that term. Number one, the best way to celebrate is to celebrate specifically. And here's what I mean by that. Don't just do, hey, Jeff did a great job today. Let's all give Jeff a round of applause. Aren't we glad he's part of the team? Okay. That's, that's not bad. That's something, but it's not good or great. Okay. Okay. But if you said, Hey, we want to recognize Jeff today. Now you're in the financial services industry. So I'll make something up in that industry. Jeff met with a local group today that was really looking for help and looking for better customer service and a way to really enhance the investment experience of their employees. Number one, Jeff was skillful enough and networked enough with our community leaders. He uncovered this opportunity. Then Jeff did a pre-call with them so he knew exactly what their needs were. He customized his presentation. He went in at a time that was convenient for them and he completely answered all their questions and really began to meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. And as a result, we're gonna get to help their entire office that's the type of work we want to have done here. And we really want to just, you know, congratulate Jeff. He's an embodiment of our mission vision. And we look forward to what's going to happen with this new client and can't wait to see additional clients we hire in or we gain in the future. That's incredible. I mean, just the impact of that and how easy it is. I mean, to, to give that level of detail in celebration might take, you know, 30 seconds of thought. However, the impact is, is almost immeasurable. And 
it seems like that's difficult for us in our society or in our culture um, to do as well as celebrate those wins. But that's how you that's how you light that fire and move forward. Well, once again, it's funny I mentioned at the very beginning of how do you write a good blog post? You just ask the second, third question. Yeah. How do you celebrate? You find the second and third reason why you should celebrate. Mm. You so know, good. and here's here's the thing. Um, whenever whenever you're doing recruitment, okay, and I'm going to do volunteer recruitment. Once again, I'm going to pull it back to a church world. If you, the more generic the request, the more generic the response. The more specific the request, the greater the response. So let me give you an example. And um, so let's, let's, this very standard thing that happens at churches, and it generally happens during the summer with the new school year approaching. Hey, we really need help in our children's department. Now, if you go to church, you've heard this countless times. We really need help in our children's department. I tell you what, those kids, they're the next generation, and they really work hard over there, and we need to be about the next generation. And, you know, if you've been looking for a way to make an impact, we could use you in the kids' department, okay? That's a standard, generic recruitment, you know, ask for a children's worker. Yeah. But if you do this, hey, I'm probably talking today to 300 people. Here's what we're praying and looking for. We need 20 people who want to give up the next six months during the hours of 9.15 to 10.30 to work specifically with second and third graders to teach them these specific things and here's the materials and resources we're going to have to support you in that effort. Would you be willing for one hour a week from September to February to give up that one hour with complete and total support and training from us to help a bunch of third graders become the type of people that God has created them to be? The more, spe the more specificity you give, the greater the response. Yeah. So tremendous. Yeah. So there you go. There's, I, I, I took it from celebrating wins all the way to recruiting children's workers. So that's gold in itself though. It's good. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a stream of thought there. Okay. The next thing I did was uh, we needed to create new resources. You know, some of our resources had just gotten a little stale, hadn't been a lot created during my hiatus and I'd learned a lot during that hiatus. So we came in and we created some new resources, some new products. You know, we created new, back then webinars were real popular. We created some new online content. Here's the thing you need to know about creating momentum. New creates momentum. Yeah. You cannot put a paint job on an old car and create much lasting momentum. A new car creates momentum. Okay, so for instance, this is why it's effective. And once again, I'll use church examples. This is why it's effective that if a church does it right, it promotes a new sermon series or we're starting a new class, you know, or we're doing this new community outreach event or we're hiring this new staff member. New creates momentum. Take a moment. And I heard Andy Stanley, you know, address this issue probably over a decade ago. Walk down an aisle 
at a grocery store of what I would call staples. Toilet paper, saran wrap, aluminum foil, deodorant, you know, pork and beans. I mean, just basic stuff every family buys and look at how many things in there are new and improved. Yeah. You know, new softer tissue, new whitener in your toothpaste, you know. Yeah. You know, there's always something new. And here's what they're doing. They're communicating to the consumer that we've been thinking about you. We're hearing from you. We know what your needs are. Things have changed. We've changed. Now we're going to give you new and improved. Okay. That's the value of new. So number one, you know, we came in, we got the run and start. We, we analyzed our team. We analyzed our systems. We improved our training. We got the right people on the right bus. We started to gain a little momentum, celebrated those baby steps, and then we rolled out new products to serve the new needs that churches had. So new, and here's the thing too, the reason you want to do all that legwork before you roll out the new product, you don't roll out the new product first because you've not created the infrastructure to sustain the opportunity that will come with the new product. Yeah. So you build your foundation, you build your systems, you equip your team, then you launch your new product. Sometimes as a leader, this takes discernment and wisdom. And a lot of times you only learn it through trial and error and experience and failure. But sometimes you need to redshirt your good idea. Ooh. Now in athletics, we all understand the concept of why you redshirt freshmen. You get them acclimated to college life. They build up their body for another year. Yeah. They get stronger. They work on their skills. They learn the playbook. We understand the concept of redshirting an athlete. You need to redshirt your ideas because sometimes your people aren't ready for them. The organization's not ready for them. You're not ready to implement them. And sometimes that idea is not as strong and robust as it needs to be. By holding back on it a little bit, it gives that idea time to mature and you always want to crock pot an idea, not microwave it. That's Food good. tastes better coming out of a crock pot than a microwave. So do good ideas. That's good. I, I'd be well to take that one to heart too, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a quick start <laughs> idea guy. Just go for it. Hey, it. look, there's guys like me that admire you. See, uh, uh, you know, passivity is one of the worst things a leader can have. Yeah. So I would much rather have an aggressive leader than I would a passive leader because an aggressive leader, you're going to learn from your mistakes. You're going to get back up. You're going to keep moving. The passive leader never, you know, we talk about movement, progress and activity and accomplishment. The passive leader never even does activity or movement. So, all right. Next thing, number eight, expand your leadership base. Okay. I mentioned earlier that Joe was, was brilliant when he did this and he deserves all the credit for this. And his humility was amazing. When it came time to start rolling out them new products and doing them new webinars and things like that, Joe is the CEO of the company and he is the leader of the company. He let me be the face of all that. And what he did is he expanded his leadership base. And a lot of times churches are very good at this. I'm going to use churches once again. And, you know, I ask all the people in the, in the private sector to just take the principles and transfer it. 
The same with the athletic sector and educational sector and military sector. That's why team teaching is such a very good thing at churches. Yeah. And it, it just expands and grows the leadership base of your team. And as a leader, God blesses that when you don't have a scarcity mindset, you have an abundant mindset. The leader that says, hey, let me tell you what God's doing on the other side of town, or let me tell you what God did in that person's life, or did you see what God did over here with this person? The leader who, number one, has enough um, you know, personal security that they're willing to do that, and the leader that's humble enough, and the leader that's strategic enough to do that, their influence only grows. You never go up by putting somebody else down. And as long as it's the right person, you will always go up by pushing other people up. A rising tide does lift all ships. That's incredible. If you're listening and you um, oversee or lead, you know, any level of team, especially if there's sort of three or more or teams of teams, you know, that sort of thing. If, if there's nothing else you learned, it's, it's that right there with Brian just talked about. Yeah. And so now that we've expanded our leadership base, we got systems in place, new products working, people are trained. You want to move, remove complexity. Genius is making the complicated simple, not making the simple complicated. And what you want to do, you want, going back to count what counts, you want to make it as easy as possible that for those things that count to become reality. Hmm. Okay. You want to make decision-making easier. You want to, you know, you want to make decision-making happen at the field. You as an executive leader only want the most challenging things and the, and things that affect, you know, marketplace perception, mission, vision to make itself up to you. Day-to-day -day issues you want handled at the field level. You want to empower your people. Hey, Brian, I was thinking we might could do this with the team. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. You know, in no particular order, does it fit into our budget? Does it protect our reputation in the marketplace? Does it advance our mission and vision? Does it help count what counts? If so, you're empowered to make the decision. You know, we don't need to go through the process of the bureaucracy and red tape of driving that up the chain. Yeah. If it meets those criteria, let's remove complexity you know, one thing I'm seeing, Jeff, post-COVID, and this is a message for all business leaders, it is becoming increasingly difficult for me to give people my money. I will literally walk into a restaurant, and there's a concept called point of sale, which is the cash register and yeah. the line leading up to the cash register. That's the point of sale. That the point of sale is not manned, or it's manned inefficiently. If I'm there and I'm ready to give my money, someone needs to take my money. You know, yeah. Uh, we're trying yeah. to get a contractor for a house. I cannot find a contractor. Yeah. I mean, I, I am ready to give somebody large sums of money. <laughs> I've been in this house now about 15 years. It's time to get some work done. Okay. Yeah. I can't get a contractor. So th there is obviously a complexity that is causing incredible inefficiency in places where I'm trying to literally hand people. I Jeff bought a new car recently. We're sitting there. We had decided on the car. We had negotiated the price. 
you know, they'd run my background credit check, that kind of thing. And we're doing paperwork. He gets up and goes, hey, excuse me for a moment. And he disappears. Well, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I get up and just wonder what's happened to the guy. He's in the parking lot helping another couple. Hmm. And I'm thinking I'm here to give a large sum yes. of resources. And it's just not had. And I look over to my right where the sales office is and there's two sales managers in there doing paperwork. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, number one, I give this guy credit for working hard. He came back, helped us out, got up again, disappeared kind of again. That couple was now at another desk doing their paperwork. So he's doing two sales simultaneously Oof. while the sales managers are in their office. That's an example of we need to remove complexity. Yeah. Whatever's happening in that sales office is not as important as counting what counts, which is the selling of cars. Yep. So in your organization, however that analogy applies to your organization, find out what find out what count what count means. And then at that particular point, remove the difficulties from that taking place. Yep. Okay. And then number 10, and this kind of creates a circular activity, continually improve. One, one thing about it, uh, and COVID accelerated it. We are, we are not living in the same world we were two years ago. Yeah. And the issues that face everyone we're trying to serve, regardless of what industry we in, are not the same as they were two years ago. That means I can't be the same leader I was two years ago. My team can't have the same skill sets it had two years ago. We need to continually improve to match and be ahead of the needs that are facing those that we are called to serve. And so, you know, leaders are continual learners. You know, as Christians, due to the sanctification process, you never arrive till you get to heaven. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're on this oval track. There is no finish line. The finish line's called heaven. Yeah. You know, and so we must always be dedicated and committed to personal growth, always be growing, always improving and always changing. And here's the thing. If we don't continually improve, then that is going to become circular and we're going to have to admit that we've lost momentum. Mm. And then that That's will it. start the cycle process all over again. So the best way to, you know, always ensure that you have momentum is two things. Number one, continual improvement. Always live in a state of holy discontent. We're grateful for our success and grateful for what God's provided, but we're not satisfied. We just keep moving forward, okay? And that's why the greatest enemy of today's success is yesterday's success, because mm -hmm. we, just, we just drift into complacency. We don't drift into continual growth and continual improvement. We drift into complacency, and we have to fight against that. And so that, uh, that, that is my recommendation. Just always be committed to personal growth, always be continually improving, and never be satisfied with today's thing. And here's the final thing. If you've had success, just like I did here, autopsy success. You should autopsy success as much as you should autopsy failure. And here's why. If you ever do lose momentum, then you know how you got it back. So you can replicate that system to regain the lost momentum. Yes. Autopsy and success helps you build the systems 
to overcome failure and overcome lost momentum. That's so good. And even if you think about what autopsying success is, if you identify the things that that work and are productive or on, on mission and on point, then you know the things that you should keep doing, you know, as opposed to just dissecting failures, which you learn a whole lot of what you shouldn't do, but it hints, but doesn't tell you what you should do. And just like your process of celebrating wins with specificity, autopsying success provides that roadmap too. Yeah. And, you know, and as I'm sitting here talking out loud, I'm coaching myself as much as I'm coaching anybody that's listening to this, you know, podcast. If you have a good date with your spouse, it's probably a good idea to stop and say, why was that a good date? Yeah. You know, maybe I was well rested. You know, maybe I prioritized it. I spent this amount of time planning it. You know, maybe I did something a little special, like I made a reservation or bought flowers or, you know, there's some things you did that made it a great date. It's probably good to autopsy why it was a good date so that you, and I'm talking to husbands now, so that we as husbands know how to have a second good date. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Once again, you know, you've been married 30 years like I have. You can drift into some places. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, Brian, um, are you going to have a uh, downloadable resource that we can post to the notes? Well, if, if Jeff Wright's asking me to create a downloadable resource, absolutely. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can do a downloadable resource. That is, that is not a problem at all. I would, I would be happy to outline these 10 ways to regain lost momentum. And, and look, if I can ever, and I know I speak for Jeff too, Jeff the same way. If Jeff and I can ever help you listening you know, regain lost momentum in your organization or help you identify some factors, please let us know. We'd be honored to help any way we could. So, yeah, I, th- this content and this lesson that you provided today, Brian, is just too valuable uh, for me not to want to put it in someone's hands tangibly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the interesting thing, we're talking about momentum here and, you know, we've all lost momentum, you know, with our health or in our families or our organizations. I mean, that, that, that happens, but you, you know, you don't have to live with lost momentum. And I think the thing that I'm getting out of this and I want the listeners to get is don't just blow through life's events, whether it's a blog post, whether it's turning an organization around, whether it's a great church service, whether if it's a wonderful, you know, staff retreat with the leaders of your business or something like that, take a moment and just stop and ask the questions, why was this a good moment or why was this not a good moment? It'll just make you a better leader. It'll make you a more informed leader, a smarter leader, a more reflective leader, a more intuitive leader. And you know, those are the type of things that will give you that sustainable excellence needed to, to make it for the long run. Absolutely. Well, everyone, now you know why I thought this was so phenomenal. And Brian alluded to it, but um, how, how I came across this was I was waiting to get selected for jury duty, listening to another fantastic podcast called the Carrie Newhoff podcast. And, and there was Brian about six years ago as a guest on that podcast and he's talking about this. And I thought to myself, man, this is written for today, even though he taught it six years ago. 
Um, so I asked them to bring it back and, and there you have it, folks, take it down and, and digest it and use it because it could not be more relevant than right now. Thank you.